On this week's edition of New York Now, New York enters a new emergency, this time over gun crime. We'll have details. Then, Karen DeWitt from New York State Public Radio and John Campbell from the USA Today Network are here with more on the news of the week. Plus, Andrew Giuliani joins us to discuss his run for the Republican nomination for governor and why he's not giving up. And later, adult victims of sex crimes say state lawmakers dropped the ball on legislation that would help them. Daryl Camp has that story. I'm Dan Clark, and this is New York Now. Today, the Senate majority will pass a legislation law prohibiting it, and we will take them to court challenging it. Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Dan Clark. Crime is the theme of the week in New York, something that many New Yorkers are now experiencing firsthand. Gun crime, in particular, has become a major issue in many of the state's urban areas. According to state data, there were about 3,200 more violent crimes with a gun last year compared to 2019 in New York. That's a jump of 40%. And we know that shootings are still on the rise here. In New York City alone, the number of shootings were up by more than 50% through at least March compared to last year. And cities like Albany and Rochester are experiencing their own problems with gun violence. But here's the problem. No one really knows what's going to fix it. And there's a lot of disagreement over strategy. Governor Cuomo this week unveiled his own plan to curb gun crime in New York, with the state now committing $138 million to the effort. That money will be used on intervention services, jobs programs, outreach, and more. And Cuomo also declared gun violence a disaster emergency in New York, giving him more power to address the problem. Time is not on our side. Begin by acknowledging the problem. And you know what the problem is? It is a statewide problem, and it is an emergency. And I want the people of the state to understand that. And I want them to respond to the emergency for the way it is. But not everyone's happy with Cuomo's strategy to curb gun violence, and New York Attorney General Letitia James also had a pretty big week. Let's talk about that and more with our panel this week. John Campbell is from the USA Today Network, and Karen DeWitt is from New York State Public Radio. Thank you both for being here. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. So let's talk first about Cuomo's gun plan. Uh, Either of you, John, what does this give the governor power to do? Because it's a new emergency in the state. We've had about two weeks without an emergency, so now we're entering a new one. (laughs) Well, he he doesn't have quite as much latitude as he did during the COVID emergency, which he got some additional power from the legislature through. But one of the big things it lets him do is is move money a little easier. Mm -hmm. It allows him to uh, set up the Office of, of Gun Violence Prevention, things like that. That's what he announced. Uh, he said he's, he's going to have uh, declare hotspots where he can more easily send resources, whether that's state police resources or some pots of money that he has uh, an ability to, to move. And so it, it, it is an administrative thing, largely, that allows him to, a, a little more flexibility. Well, that's why it's puzzling, because none of this needs an emergency order. He could Mm. do all of this. The $138 million that he wants to send to programs was already in the state budget. Right, this is Um, not new money. All he's doing is really suspending the state's procurement laws and the oversight to make sure that the money goes to the right places and is spent properly. Well, that's what I was thinking, is it that the money can go faster because 
it has less review, like by the yeah. controller's yeah, office? Yeah, the controller will be shut out of it. There's no review to it. Um, but I think also he just, you know, I mean, if you look at it face value, obviously he wants to call attention to an issue that people are concerned about. And, you know, he feels like politically he had a lot of, you know, success, even though it was a terrible time during COVID, he was very popular when we had a state of emergency. Everybody kind of had to listen to him. Is school going to be open today? Do I go to work? And I think, you know, maybe part of it is wanting to regain some of that loss because now, you know, most New Yorkers don't want him to run for another term. Right. He's embroiled in a lot of scandals and he's sort of trying to get on top of the narrative here for a legitimate issue. But of course, being Andrew Cuomo, there's also political concerns as well. Oh, yeah. And I think he could have very easily have said, I'm taking seven steps against gun violence today. It's very important. You know, we got to get this under control, but he didn't have to take special powers to do it. It's, you know, a state of emergency is something that mm -hmm. kind of stops you in your track, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. uh, and, and it's, it's, there's no doubt that that was part of the calculation. You know, it, in reality, it's, it's much more bureaucratic. Uh, right. You know, it doesn't, it's not a state of emergency in like that a, a county level can do where you can't travel unnecessarily things right. like that. I mean, yeah. it is it's more bureaucratic than that, but it is it has a really jarring name that that gets people's attention. I'll tell you one of the things he's not doing is revisiting a number of criminal justice reforms and changes mm. that have happened in the last couple of years under the the Democrats in the legislature Good in point. Cuomo. Yeah, including the bail reform, you know, changes to parole the so-called raise the age, treating 16 and 17 year olds not as adults in the prison system, but as juveniles, which Republicans and district attorneys say, you know, this might be part of the problem. Well, Republicans are saying is part of the problem. You can't prove <laughs> right. that, but it's something that perhaps should be looked at as part of this, but that was not mentioned at all. Right, we're gonna hear from Andrew Giuliani in a few minutes, and he makes that case as well, that repealing bail reform would lower the crime rate. And it, it, that's a tough topic too. Mm -hmm. I've talked to people about this, there hasn't been really any empirical research right. or data on whether bail reform and discovery reform has caused the, the crime spike. Right, but that's not going to stop it from becoming a major political issue. Exactly. I mean, that is, uh, you've got every state lawmaker up for re-election next year. You have, <clears throat> excuse me, every state office, uh, statewide office holder up for, for re-election next year, including the governor. And there's no doubt that the Republicans are going to make that a central theme. But also, you know, we've already seen crime and a, a rise in crime, even if it's only a perceived rise in crime, become a major issue in the New York City mayor's race. And it mm -hmm. helped propel Eric Adams to the mayor's office. So yeah. crime right now is a major political issue. Uh, and and I, I have little doubt that it will be next year as well. That's a great segue, actually. So mm -hmm. Attorney General Tish James was in Syracuse this week. She also had a giant opioid settlement that we made right. it to. Yeah. But she was in Syracuse this week. She was in Albany a few weeks ago for a similar event where she was announcing takedown of, of some drug rings and indictments of, like, tens of people. I think it was more than 80 people in Syracuse or more than 70. And it made me wonder if she is trying to do these events because she knows that politically crime is very popular. I don't... I don't think it's all politics, obviously. I think mm -hmm. her office is working very hard on this. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering if this is a good opportunity for her to position herself for a run for governor next year. Well, whether intentional or not, it is fitting into the times. And she's right. doing tangible things, working with local law enforcement, hauling people off who may be responsible for some of these shootings, because it seems like it's really just a small number of people in each community who are committing 
these crimes. It's not like everybody's gone wild. It's like you have to focus on, you know, certain certain people for this that are that are actual criminals and not punish people who are. But yeah, it seems like you know that's something that she's doing. She's getting attention for. And could that position her for a run for governor? I mean, as John just said, it worked for Eric Adams. Yeah. You know, and um, you know, uh, Eric Adams also had the African American community. He has, he has credibility because he was an ex-cop, so he can talk about you know law enforcement more. And in the same way that I think that she can do that too. I'm attorney general. You right. know, I'm the first uh, black woman who's attorney general, so she can walk that line a little bit better. But yeah, I mean, every you know, it's going to be over a year till the next election, but if crime remains an issue, she is positioning herself very well for that. I think so too. John, well, and, and it's also, you know, these drug busts that, that, you know, they're doing very publicly and they're having, you know, the big press conferences mm -hmm. with the guns laid out at the right. table. And the, I mean, it is a, a tactic that we've seen a lot for a long time from law enforcement as a way to send a message to other people who may be involved in the drug trade. That said, you know, as we've seen with Andrew Cuomo, as we've seen with uh, with Elliot Spitzer, the Attorney General's office can be used as a platform to run for higher office, and in, in large part because you're doing things like that. You're doing the drug bust. You're doing the opioid settlements with, with the Sackler family and, and Purdue Pharma that's you know $4.5 billion. It is very easy to look like the, the, you know, the white knight coming in exactly. to save the day. That's what exactly. I was going to say. So, right. you, don't, it, you don't have to run state government. Right. You don't have to run the subways, which are like filling with water this week, and it's all over social media. You can right. do like, you can pick and choose your issues. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, there's a reason why they call the AG's office aspiring governor. Right. There's a reason. <laughs> Andrew Cuomo did the same thing. Mm -hmm. He was AG before he became governor. Exactly. I'm wondering what her strategy is, and, and we don't know. We just don't know. And the other thing mm -hmm. is, as far as gun crime goes, and I said this earlier in the show, we just don't really know what the solution is. You know, you can <clears throat> choose five or six different strategies, and hopefully one works. And I think certainly all of us hope the governor's plan for curbing gun crime works, but it's something that I think people are thinking about more than ever now. Yeah, and it seems like they need to look at everything, including some of the laws they passed. You know, yeah. Politics aside, there's no harm in just taking a look. Right. Well, we'll see what the legislature does. They, they may come back in the next few weeks. We don't know. That's Cuomo all said he air. didn't need them. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> you know, who needs them? But yeah. we got to leave it there. Karen DeWitt from New York State Public Radio, John Campbell from the USA Today Network, thank you both so much. You're welcome. Thank you. So last week, we told you about how Republicans plan to campaign in next year's elections. And the big race to watch is the race for governor. If Governor Cuomo is the Democratic nominee, he could be vulnerable after a wave of scandals rocked his political future this year. And that's what Republicans are counting on heading into the race. But first, they'll have to pick a nominee. And last week, Republican county chairs said they'd prefer that nominee be Congressman Lee Zeldin. But other Republicans seeking the nomination are not giving up, saying they'll take the race to a primary next June. That includes Andrew Giuliani, a former advisor to Donald Trump in the White House and the son of former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani. I spoke with him this week about his campaign and his strategy moving forward. Andrew Giuliani, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. It's great, uh, great pleasure to be on with you. Of course. So you are on the campaign trial right now. You're on Long Island. Tell me how it's going. How is the campaign going? You just announced recently a, a few weeks back. I mean, it's not too recent, but how has it gone so far? Dan, it's been going really, really well. It's been now, I think we are on day 50, maybe day 51. And we've already been to all 62 counties. We did that within the first month. 
I've promised New Yorkers that we are going to go back to all 62 counties again by Labor Day. And that's how we're going to run the campaign for the next 16 months. We are going to continue to go all around New York State. I always look at it this way. If I'm going to ask New Yorkers to go out there to vote for me, to get their friends to go out there and vote for me, I need to show them to the respect of coming to their hometown, to their home county, and talking about issues that are important with them. So that's how we plan to run the next 16 months. That's how I plan to govern this great state. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about. So last week, Republican leaders were in Albany. They took a straw poll and made yeah. Congressman Lee Zeldin the presumptive nominee. Obviously, it's a <laughs> long ways away from a primary, about 11 right. months. So what's yeah. your strategy leading up to that to get Republican voters to choose you as the candidate? Well, it's a great question. And I'll tell you, one of the things that we did here recently, we heard that the congressman had a poll in the field about three weeks ago. And we never heard any numbers back from it. It was it really triggered us and said, hey, you know, what? we need to put a poll in there to see where the numbers actually are. We did a poll that commissioned over 600 Republican voters in New York state. We are winning by eight points, beating the congressman by eight points. So the truth is, the way we look at it is we want the three million registered Republicans to have a voice in who their nominee is, not just a few people in a back room in Albany. I only wish they would have lit a cigar up because then it would have been a smoke-filled backroom in Albany. And I think the only thing that New Yorkers hate more than a backroom deal in Albany is a smoke-filled backroom deal in Albany. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a tricky situation because running in the primary, you obviously have to appeal to the base, to your Republican base. But if yeah. you get the nomination, then you have to appeal to both sides of the aisle because New York is obviously a, a predominantly Democratic state, two to one Republicans. How do you do that going into the general if you are the nominee? How do you get that cross-party support to elect you over whatever Democrats on the ticket? Yeah, well, look, one of the things that we're doing is we're just following the data and the numbers here. The Republican Governors Association has great statistics on uh, deep blue states and whether or not, whether they run a primary or they don't run a primary. Whenever we run a primary, we perform far better in deep blue states than when we don't run a primary. That's why for us, we're excited about a primary, to be honest. We don't just want to be an anointed candidate or have an anointed candidate. We want to see that primary. We want to get into that battle. And we ultimately believe that it's going to help us actually win the not just the nomination, but it's going to help us win uh, the governor's race in on November 8th of 2022. But you asked how ultimately we would cross over and get independent and Democratic support. Well, school choice is a major issue that a lot of Democrats are furious about right there. The rising uh, statistics in crime. That is something that we talk about and we have solutions to. I know that Andrew Cuomo does not have any solutions to that. So what are the solutions to that crime problem that you're looking at? I know that bail reform is a big issue yep. for Republicans. A full repeal yep. of that is what Republicans tend to lean towards. But what yes. else are you looking for as options? Because I think that's, well, the, you're right. I think that's the big question on New Yorkers' minds is with a crime spike in a lot of areas across the state, how do we lower that back down? Well, you mentioned it right there, and bail reform is the number one thing. I mean, this is an issue that's going on all around the state, not just in New York City. So for us, repealing bail reform is number one. Secondly, we have to protect our officers' qualified immunity. They need to be able to go in to some of these more crime-ridden areas and proactively police. And I think, most importantly, officers need to know that if they are going to go and proactively police, as long as they are not willfully trying to hurt the public, they are doing everything that they possibly can to make our city streets and our rural streets a safer place, they are going to have a friend in the governor's mansion that will stand up with them, even if the political winds are against them. That's what they'll have with a Governor Giuliani.
Well, that's an interesting point that you made. So if you're in the governor's office, there is a chance that Democrats may still control the state legislature. And the Democrats are the ones that put forth the bail reform and have done a lot of these police reforms. How do you see yourself working with Democrats in the legislature if they still hold the majority? Do you think you can have a working relationship there? Yeah, I think we can have a working relationship, but ultimately for us, and this is the same way that we're running our candidacy, right? We're not ultimately talking to party bosses, to, uh, to, to leaders uh, in either the Republican or Democratic Party. We're talking directly to the 2.9 million registered Republicans. We're talking directly to the 19.5 million New Yorkers. I want to hear from them. So if ultimately we have, let's say, an assembly, assemblyman or woman or a state senator who is pushing policies that continues to see our crime spike and, and, and continues to push these policies that really is responsible for our crime just that, that's out of control, what I'll do is I will go directly to their areas and I will ultimately talk to their constituents and explain this is what's going to help keep your city streets safer. This is what I'm going to present. This is why ultimately it's very important that we repeal bail reform, why we protect their officers' qualified immunity. So another big issue that I'm sure you're hearing about on the campaign trail is cost of yep. living in New York. We have yep. people moving out of New York. Our population is rising, but not at the quite the same pace as other states like Florida and California and Texas. So if you're elected governor, what do you see yourself focusing on in terms of trying to get people to stay here, trying to lower that cost of living? And I know taxes are a big issue, but for some people, tax decreases may just not be enough. Well, I would say taxes. I would say property taxes. I mean, look at ultimately gas. I mean, one of the big, big issues that we're seeing on the campaign trail is the cost of gasoline over the last uh, seven, eight months and how much that spiked. You know, if you think about it, if somebody fills up their tank twice a week, let's say at 20 gallons, you're talking about another $50, $60 a week that ultimately somebody is going to have to pay uh, in order to live in New York that is different from, let's say, a Florida or a Texas right there. So that is a massive issue, not necessarily in the downstate areas, but in the North Country, in the Southern Tier, in Western New York, where ultimately you drive further to work. That's a massive thing. And that is certainly a cost of living issue right there. Property taxes also. Property taxes has gone out of control in New York. And I want to see not just a reduction in income taxes, but also a reduction in property taxes. Right. Property taxes are like the nail on the head for a lot of people, like myself included. Yeah. I'm looking for a house right now, and the only thing preventing me from buying a house in Albany County is that the property taxes are just out of control. Yeah. We have a cap on property taxes, but do you see any specific approach to lowering property taxes in the state? There are a lot of different factors that go into that, obviously. Yeah, and I think ultimately it has to start right here from the governor's mansion. We know ultimately there's going to be a fight among some assembly members and some state senators, but that's why we need to ultimately build up a coalition. It starts with the governor to be able to push that through. And that's where really the advantage of the governor's bully pulpit exists. We're seeing the amount of overregulation that exists for businesses. That's why businesses are setting their footprint in the South Carolinas, the Tennessees, the Floridas of the world, and not in New York. That's less jobs for New Yorkers. That just is a snowball effect that rolls right down 95. I want to make sure that we turn those U-Hauls around and we ultimately create a great business environment again in New York. All right, Andrew Giuliani, I am sure we will speak to you many times again before the primary next year, but thank you so much for joining us this week. I appreciate it. And thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to talking with you over the next 16 months until we take down Governor Andrew Cuomo. So thank you very much.
and we have reached out to Congressman Zeldin for an interview, but nothing scheduled just yet. In the meantime, lawmakers are facing pressure from advocates to support a relatively new bill called the Adult Survivors Act. It's targeted at helping adult victims of sex crimes. Daryl Camp is here with more. Daryl. New York's legislative session ended in mid-June, but many lawmakers and New Yorkers say their work is not done. That's because a number of bills that seemingly had the support to pass weren't voted on in both houses of the state legislature. One of those measures in that category is the Adult Survivors Act that would create some legal recourse for time-barred cases of sexual abuse. Take a look. When it comes to surviving sexual trauma, the road to recovery can be a lifelong process. Many survivors feel shame or even guilt when coming forward. Even if they do, it's often years later when a victim's legal options have expired. That's why lawmakers in New York are pushing the Adult Survivors Act. The bill would create a one-year look-back window for victims of adult sexual abuse to sue their alleged abusers. It's modeled after the Child Victims Act, a recent New York law that did the same thing for cases of child sex abuse. But the Adult Survivors Act hit a snag in the legislature before lawmakers left Albany for the year back in June. The state assembly didn't bring it up for a vote, but the state senate did and passed it unanimously. Senate sponsor Brad Hoyleman, a Democrat from Manhattan, says that the bipartisan support for the bill shows how important it was for lawmakers in the chamber. Now we recognize that those individuals who do not have the advantage of being able to seek justice prospectively should have it retrospectively. So we're proposing a one-year look-back window where one could revive claims that have since been time-barred through the Adult Survivors Act. It's something that New Jersey has done recently as well, and it is something that New York did for survivors of child sexual abuse. Lawmakers haven't said why the assembly didn't consider the bill before they left in June, and the bill supporters say that even they don't know why some of their colleagues don't want to pass it. Assemblymember Linda Rosenthal, a Democrat also from Manhattan, was the main sponsor of the bill in the assembly. Some of it is uh, mysterious to me as well, and I, I really can't speak for to those. But I do know that some people said, well, it was it was uh, too soon to consider that. Uh, they needed more time. And, uh, well, there will be more time, six months till we meet again in January. Um, and I think then people will totally understand why the Adult Survivors Act is so important. In the final days of this year's legislative session in June, advocates from the victim assistance group Safe Horizon were at the Capitol pushing for lawmakers to pass the measure. Among them was a survivor named Marissa Hochstetter, who says she was sexually abused by Robert Haddon, a gynecologist in Manhattan. I know women in my case who've been abused by the same man who chose not to have more kids who've lost their sexual intimacy, who've lost marriages. I sent a letter on behalf of over 200 victims of Robert Haddon, the same person who assaulted me, asking for this common sense legislation. And you know what the legislation does? It gives us the right to continue to fight. We're not asking them to validate even our concerns. We're asking to be seen and to have access to the courts for all of us. Senator Hoyleman again. One physician uh, who since had his license revoked, Dr. Robert Haddon, um, violated the, the trust and abused um, individuals ranging from uh, 
age 12 all the way to women who are older than 65 years over the course of several decades. Uh, it's an outrage that those individuals, those survivors, um, had such a narrow window in which to file claims against their abusers. Another survivor, Tom Andriola, says that the only opposition he's heard shouldn't stop the bill from becoming law. The only opposition to the Adult Survivors Act is that it won't provide relief to every single survivor of sexual assault. But doing nothing until we can do everything is unconscionable. We can help thousands of survivors who have been denied justice for so long. And there's no good reason we should make them wait any longer. Ultimately, Hochstetter says that if lawmakers are looking for reasons to support the bill, they should ask victims what it would mean to them. What you see standing here is me, one woman. Who I hear from and who I represent are hundreds of women from the age of 15 to 70 who've been assaulted by the same doctor. Every race, every age, every stage in their life. If that's not enough, if that is not enough, I don't know what is. The bill's opponents in the assembly haven't actually made their position public, so we don't know who held it back from coming to a vote. And it's not clear if the legislature is going to return in the coming weeks to address their unfinished business, but if they do, supporters of the Adult Survivors Act say the bill will be among their top priorities. Thank you for that story, Daryl. Mm -hmm. So very quickly, we have 30 seconds. What else did the legislature go home without passing? Something like clean slate that had the votes to pass. I don't know if you remember this, but I my sure early do. days in the legislature were in 2017 when we had a special session for things like the Mario Cuomo Bridge. They must have forgotten about way back in the day when there was actually Republican control in one of the houses. And they were like, hey, even though we don't have all the support we need, obviously, we have things to get done. So we need to sort of go back to the old good days, if you will. You know, I wonder why they're not coming back. I got it before the New York City primary because everybody wanted to campaign. But now I'm wondering when we see them again, because I don't think it'll be that far away. But we'll leave it there. Thank you so much, Daryl. And thank you for watching this week's edition of New York Now. Have a great week and be well. Funding for New York Now is provided by WNET and by the Dominic Ferrioli Foundation.